Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Jason Anderson of Pro Soccer Wire. How's it going, Jason? I know you've been you've been at home watching a lot of soccer this week. Is that right? Yeah, that's been pretty much it. Uh, So I guess good um, in that there's been uh, a lot to watch. Uh, Also, maybe not like I don't know if this is the best personal strategy to just never, never leave house and only watch games. I don't know. (laughs) True. But that's good because we do have a lot of things to talk about. We wrapped up the international window this weekend. We had the winner of Copa America Femenina, which was Brazil. Kind of it is as expected, but obviously a really good tournament from Colombia. Um, Brazil did win that one to nothing on a penalty taken by Dabinha. And then we also had the Euros final on Sunday, which it finally happened, folks. Football went Picked up its ball and went home. Uh, England did win the Euros 2-1 to one over Germany in extra time. Game winner scored by Chloe Kelly. Um, you know, I think we should talk a little bit about the Euros final, um, though it's probably not going to be the longest segment, just because, to be frank, it was not the most amazing game of soccer ever played. It was very cagey, very chippy, very physical, um, and perhaps we knew we were due for that when we got some team news at the very beginning of the game, which was that Alexandra pop who was in uh, tied in the lead for the golden boot race with Beth Mead was out, out of the final um, felt like that really changed the energy for Germany. What did you think, Jason? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I know that it's not like they brought in nobody um, with uh, right. Schiller coming in, but not the same kind of player. And I think Germany had, I mean, there's a reason pop was leading the goal scorer up there with Beth Mead leading the goal scoring charts. And it wasn't just because she happens to be the striker for Germany. It, a lot of these goals were like pop willing the ball into the goal. Um, yes. Whether that be through, um, you know, making a, a, you know, special play from athleticism or just bravery, things like that, that, I don't think anyone else on that team or really even in the tournament, to be honest, uh, has that uh, quality to them. So um, Germany didn't, there is no like, well, we can do this to be just as good. They, they just didn't have that. Um, so I don't really blame them for taking a cagier approach. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, I think they did just enough at that, that they managed to make the game uh, difficult for England uh, quite a bit. It wasn't, I think England wasn't cut out to play that kind of game, which, you know, full credit to them for finding a way to win anyway, when they weren't getting to play the game that I think they like to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it turned the game. I, I think Germany had to alter its plans and make it scrappy. And they did that. So, and, and I thought they had the better of the game, honestly, Right. Um, in the overall uh, 120 minutes, I think they were the better team, but not by enough where I'm like, Oh, what a great injustice. Um, well, it, that's kind of the pop factor as well, right? Which is that we saw, especially in the second half of regulation, and they did get the equalizer, right? But mm-hmm. they were they they held the ball up more. They were pressing a little bit more in the second half. It seemed like they maybe saved some of the press for later in the game. Um, but it was that final ball, right? I mean, when, it's very obvious when you say, well, they didn't win the game because they only scored one goal. But mm-hmm. it would. They'd be sending these crosses in, and you'd think to yourself, oh, well, 
that's the kind of cross that pop got the end of against, you know, France last week. And so just talking about the physical profile of that player. And like you said, the sort of leadership qualities and the physical tenacity there. um, I do think Germany was missing that though. They had every other part of the performance Mm -hmm. there. Let's talk about that though, a little bit, because this is a U.S. perspective, obviously. And and I think there were some parallels in um, what we saw from both Germany and England in this tournament. And maybe what we saw from the U.S. in 2019, it did feel like the two teams with the strongest mentality made it to the final. It felt like when you're talking about that sort of will to win, that never say die energy. Um, we, this is recording after obviously both semifinals were played, uh, Andre Carlisle and I actually, we were, you know, we were right. We, we predicted that England and Germany were going to make it to the final because of just sort of not only the way they executed their game plans, but the way that they looked, the way that they carried themselves, they seemed like the teams most prepared to take it all the way. And so for you, Jason, is that in an international tournament, how much can you overrate or underrate that element of belief, mentality, staying focused and secure for the entire 90 or 120 minutes? I, it's huge if you're a good team. Yeah. Um, if you're not a particularly good team, there's only so far you can go outside of like, you know, the occasional miracle run. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are rare uh, being miracle runs. Um but if you're if you're in the top five or six in that pool, then it's it's why I think it's why England won the tournament, yeah. um, because I, I think England did a great job of playing at the closest to their best um, throughout the tournament that I think a lot of the other teams didn't, um, whether that, you know, Germany had some games that were not super impressive. Um, Spain ironically saved I mean maybe in like the ultimate stereotype of Spain's national team saved their best performance for a loss mm-hmm. um yeah which is just a you know pure them thing mm-hmm. to do but had so many other games where it was like is this it like right. I know Alexia's out I know how big of a deal that is but it's also like you've still got some great players why is this looking like this um and and, and so on you know Norway uh, obviously losing eight, nothing to England is a pretty obvious example of uh, a team whose me- mental wasn't quite right uh, yeah. on the day um, because I mean, Norway's not as good as England, but eight goals, no, right, right. no way. Uh, unless you're just not ready to go. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that was England's biggest advantage over the field. Um, it's not that I, I don't think they're the best team uh, on paper, in that tournament, but they were the team that was closest to their best mentally. Um, and, and to go back to 2019, um, you know, Serena Wiegman took uh, the Netherlands to the final. And some of that was that side of the bracket was right. not the, the, the gauntlet that the other side was, but they were very steady and very assured of themselves all the way to the end when, you know, they lose the final because they're just not as good as the U S right. um, ultimately. But they went to the final, uh, and that's a pretty good achievement for that team in that tournament that year. And and I think it does come down to just that ability to show up, and maybe you can't be a 10 out of 10, seven games in a row, but if you can be an 8 out of 10 um, and not have that game where you show up and you're a 5 for your group, it's huge. Because if you show up and have a 5 in the quarterfinal, you're probably done. Um, Right. Because the margins, especially especially at the Euros, the margins are so thin. So 
Um, if, if to me, this is maybe the most important thing that England had going for themselves is just um, this ability to kind of always be roughly at the same level, uh, and, and that level being fairly high. It was the, I don't the Norway game aside, I don't think England hit their absolute ceiling. Um, they had it then, and that was it. Right. And then maybe maybe this is a good place to talk about sort of who what England was as a team because and and this is like kudos I think to 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 Wigman because it worked really well but much talk was made of they had the exact same starting 11 for the entire tournament and you know this is not why they won but they had kind of a kind schedule a little bit of a kinder schedule than some of the other teams um just due to being in that group a they had a little bit more rest before their semifinal had even a little bit more rest before the final against germany so they were able to do that um but it was a starting 11 that was very intentionally supplemented by those substitutes that she would make early in the second mm-hmm. half. And I think at this point you have to say, this is by design. This is not mm-hmm. Wiegman saying, I think Ellen white is way better than Alessia Russo. It is her saying what we do to teams where we get into a rhythm and then we shake that rhythm up with a really quality player in the second half is going to shake things up and loosen things up a little bit. And that worked in pretty much every game. And it's almost just a credit to Germany to not let the game get out of hand. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And and this is another, I think there's another 2019 lesson to apply here. And it's, it's, um, you know, Jill Ellis, uh, I think used some substitutions in that tournament and wasn't, wasn't approaching it as this is my best 11 and I'll figure out what to do on the day. Um, There were some intentional, like I'm going to make this switch because it's going to change the game. Um, And we're going to do it more than once. Teams are going to know it's coming, but they aren't going to be ready for it. Um, And, and I, you know, England went to an extreme with it because if I'm not mistaken, it was every, was it every single game or did they rotate once? I think it it was every single game, every single game. Um, so yeah, that's that's not a wow. She got tired in the 60th minute again. Um, I guess we'll have to make that sub. Um, no, that's that's them and, and you know Ru- getting Russo bought in um, to a strategy where it's like you're not going to start. I know you think starting is important because it is, right? But you're not going to start. You're going to have to come in off the bench into a game uh, that picks up a rhythm that you aren't privy to. You can see it, but you're not in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have to go figure it out and hopefully change it to something advantageous to us over and over again. Um, that's a really demanding thing to put on a player. Um, and it didn't seem like a burden to Russo. Right. Um, so that's very, very good player management, I think. Um, and, and it also, it happened to be pretty savvy tactically in a way that to be fair to the other teams, maybe they don't, no one really has that ability to bring a Russo quality player in everyone else in the tournament is starting their, their Russo equivalent. Um, So England had this advantage. Uh, I think they saw that this is a thing that they've got that no one else can do. Um, And they, they played it to perfection. Um, I mean, Russo in the final, I think she comes in and almost immediately creates a goal. Uh, Or or creates creates a very good. It was for an Ella Tune, right? That came that come in, and and Tune is the one who gets the the opening goal, and um, it it was it was off of a uh, Kira Walsh pass, which was really really nice as well. But yes, it just immediately the game changed, and it threw Germany off. And Mm -hmm. I think that um, 
you know, maybe you look at it a little bit as pieces of individual brilliance, amazing pass in fan. I mean, that chip was just, you talk about confidence, good Lord, but, (laughs) um, but also, yes, it, it basically did what it was supposed to do. And like you said, Russo comes in at 110% every single time and other teams are not ready for that. And I think that's also has to be exciting for England because I don't think what they're looking at. I mean, obviously you look at someone like Jill Scott, you look at Ellen White, you look at some of the players who have been around for a longer time. You think, are they now going to be in a weird U.S. uh, 2019 to 2021 situation Mm -hmm. going into the World Cup next year? But they've done a good job of rotating in younger players. Like you talk about these subs, Lauren Hemp played a huge role in this tournament. Beth Mead is hitting her peak like this there's no reason to think that this can't continue. And that's maybe also where I want to switch over to, to Germany because like Lena Oberdorf won best young player in the tournament, which, you know, I love to see a number six, get that kind of love. Mm-hmm. Um, that Germany team is young and yeah. they are, they are demonstrably to me already better than they were in 2019. And so that has to be exciting for them. I think um, Von Tecklenburg said, Ross Tecklenburg said this uh, after the game, which is that, Obviously, they were disappointed not to win, but this is their build to next year. Right. And so that has to be really, I mean, obviously, they wanted to win the Euros, but it's like they're arriving ahead of schedule a little bit, right? Yeah, uh, that's that's the good, I think that's a pretty much a perfect phrase for it. The fact that they are already at this place from a, a mentality perspective, from a tactical perspective, um, you know, Oberdorf is only 20. I, I Honestly, I thought she'd, deserved a, a bigger award than she got. I think yeah. she should have actually been the player of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, the fact that she's playing that role that well um, is kind of emblematic. I mean, it's, it's the best example, but it's not the only example of um, Germany having so many, so many of these players that you would think would be in the national team picture, but maybe not starters just yet. Right. Um, but they're already there. And to their credit, they, you know, I think, they seem to have made the jump the U.S. probably did need to make in hindsight after 2019 right. that, you know, COVID throws off everything um, as, as we have all uh, become yeah. horribly well, aware of. We were also not in the Olympics, so they had a little bit more wiggle right. room to fully. Ha- I think if the U.S. were not in the Olympics, they probably would have done a similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so to, to make that generational shift far enough from a major tournament that you have time. Yeah. Um, to get the, you know, it's not even really about the talent at that point. It's, it's about getting the team culture in place, getting, um, the understanding in place, getting whatever morale hits that that causes within the group to subtract some players out, um, and, and build that group back up to what it could be, or even better. Um, it takes time. And so the fact that they're already here, um, we are what 350 something days from, uh, the, the world year, cup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if they're here now, uh, you have to assume barring just a catastrophic season of injuries, right. um, that they will be better, uh, next summer and they're already extremely good. Um, so I am really kind of, uh, if anything, I come away from the tournament thinking like, if you're asking me which team from the euros, I would 
bet on going further in the World Cup, I actually kind of want to lean towards Germany. Yeah, um, I, think I think England's well, kind also, of at a ceiling and Germany's wonder, got more room. Yeah, I wonder a little bit, too. And this just kind of popped into my head. But obviously, famously, quite famously, no one has ever won the World Cup and the Olympics back to back. This is a unique schedule this year, which is that mm. the Euros were not supposed to be this year. They were supposed to be last year. And so maybe it, England has entered into a similar sort of a danger zone. And this is actually my next question, which is you want to win the home euros. That's their, it's their first major as in men or women's in over 50 mm-hmm. years, first major trophy, first major trophy for the women ever. You want to do that. They fully accomplished what they set out to do. Now, how do you, or maybe this is, this is a philosophical question. Do you now try to maintain peak from now until next year? Or do you pull back a little bit, figure out maybe some other bubble players and then work in to try to build maybe six months from now? How do you approach this as the Euros winners, do you think? Uh, I mean, I think they probably do. It's probably very important over the next few months for there to be that sort of um, positive tension within the group where the 11 that have been starting most of their games don't assume that they are the 11 for the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, obviously, okay, White can look at Russo and be like, okay, I still have to be at yes. my very best or I will not be a starter here. Um, but the rest of the team needs that as well. Um, and there are some positions that I do not necessarily think that the pressure is on as much. Um, and that might be, you know, maybe those players have that um, mentality monster kind of thing where they it just doesn't matter. Um, there the imagined challenge that's coming uh, is enough for some players. It is some players need that player in training where they're like, you know, if I don't come in and play my best tomorrow, I might be sitting on the weekend, even though I've got 150 caps or whatever. Um, some players need that, and I can't pretend to know the mentality of certain English English players to the extent to where I can say for sure. Um, about that, but I, I do think overall they do strike me as a team that needs that um, at least that little bit of a pressure. That idea that just because we won the Euros last year doesn't mean that we know what our team for Australia and New Zealand looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the friendlies to come this fall, uh, I, I would expect um, Vigman to bring in a few players, um, maybe players that were just, just on the outside for the euros, or maybe um, I'm, I'm struggling to remember if anyone was injured that missed out at the last second. No, um, I think for the most part, for the most part, I mean, I think they were mostly intact, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Just, just incorporating those players in and, and, you know, giving those players, you don't, you, you don't want to do it in a way where you're just trying to like, be mean for the sake of being mean and be right. like, Oh, you know, thanks for, thanks for winning the tournament. Now you're back on uh, the bubble all the time. Um, but you do need to create that sort of like, just because you won, like you can't bring winning the euros with you to these other games. Right. Like it's in the past. We have to be at that level or better going forward, or we're not going to continue to win things. So uh, that's a, it's a challenge that, um, I don't know if England has the depth to make it to the extent that like we've seen with the U S in the past. Right. Um, but I obviously, do think they've I mean, got obviously, enough. Again, Wiegman did a nice job from 2017 to 2019 to be able to yes. do that with that Netherlands squad. So if anyone can do it, I would think it would be her, but yeah, this is a new challenge for them. They've never had mm-hmm. to face this, this, um, 
this certain mentality. Um, okay. So last competitive question, and then we'll talk kind of bigger picture briefly. Um, of the top four teams that made the semifinals, and I'll be honest, I, I think the best four teams made the semifinals. That was fine by me based on what we say. You know, that Spain game was close, but um, they didn't quite put it all together to, to beat England. Sweden, France, Germany, England. Is there, and from the U.S. perspective, and I know that the U.S. is in a different part of their sort of climb, um, which one is are there any of these teams where you look kind of player for player or you look at a manager and you say the U.S. probably doesn't want to play this team in the quarterfinals? Hmm. Well, I mean, Sweden is an easy one just because of how traditional that you, you have to assume that they're going to play each other somehow. Yes. Um, it's just obligatory. Times. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It, it you know, if they get put in the same group again and then play in the group in the knockout, it would be like, yeah, of course. Um, so Sweden's always um, a big challenge. They seem very comfortable playing against the U S in terms of how Vlatko wants to play. I think they're very comfortable mm-hmm. playing an approach that is difficult for that style to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I, I think Germany um, to keep coming back to them. Yeah. Um, I think Germany has, more athleticism than the rest of those those other three and i think that allows them to compete with the u.s in a in a way that the other teams sometimes cannot Mm -hmm. um so i think i think that's definitely um a factor but you know ultimately if the u.s is playing any of these four in the quarterfinal um it's going to feel a little like 2019 where it's like u.s france uh, already like what are we doing um which is the unfortunate, you know, we're all at the mercy of the draw. Hopefully this time it's a little more balanced and not set up in a way where it's a log jam for like six of the best eight teams are all in one path. And then the other two just sort of get to the coast. Um, But, you know, I, I feel like we're kind of cursed with that kind of draw. Um, Look at, I mean, looking at the W championship, for example, I think the W championship put, I would argue five of the best eight te- five of the or that out of the top five teams in that tournament, four were in the U.S.'s group yeah. and Canada was in the other group. Um, that's no disrespect to Costa Rica, but based on the performances, um, it, it was not a balanced group. And we probably have to assume that we're not going to get perfect balance or even close to it. Um, now, it could be that the U.S. ends up with the easy bracket. Um, that would be uh, unusual, I feel like. But yeah. Yeah, I feel like all four of these teams are. I know that's the cop out answer, but um, they, they are all really interesting challenges. I think. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and now that England, to be specific about them, now that they've won something, I'm really eager to see if that um, manifests in a more confidence against these bigger teams. Because sometimes I feel like I, I've felt in the past like they've because they don't have that evidence that they can beat anybody that they kind of come into these big games, not fully believing it. Um, and so they, if they were to play the U S in a hypothetical world cup quarterfinal um, in the past, I would have been like, they're probably just going to expect to, to challenge, but not quite do it. Right. Um, but now they have done it. They've beaten all the, everyone else. Um, they're probably going to be telling people that they're the best team in the world, which I personally don't think the euros winner should say that shouldn't have said that in the previous euros either. Um, but this is the pattern that we have. Sure. Um, the winner of the Euros usually then tells everyone that they're the best team in the world, regardless of whether that's factual or not. And England certainly loves to tell people that they've got the best <laughs> league in the world. So yes. 
I guess I'm putting two and two together here, but I think that what that means for a quarterfinal is just um, a new level of confidence that we've never seen out of England before, um, because now they can actually say like, but we did do it. Like we have the, we have tangible yeah. evidence. There's a trophy. You know, there's something that Megan Rapino said um, during the CONCACAF W championship uh, or tournament was, which was just, she basically was like part of even working in the new U S players is she says, there's a difference in believing you can win and knowing you're going to win mm-hmm. and knowing you're going to win is a learned feeling. You have to learn that feeling actually. And so that's kind of what you're saying, right? For England, mm-hmm. I'm sure they always believed that they could win, but now they have this lived experience of knowing that they can win. And I think that that's going to be a little bit of a shift. So let's talk about this best in the world. So honestly, huge success, right? This tournament, they're setting attendance mm-hmm. records. They're sending, t- they're, they're setting TV records. The home team wins. Everyone's very happy. You know, there's going to hopefully be a lot of support for WSL. Hopefully it even trickles down into the championship, lower tier, grassroots, all of that. I've seen some people call this England's 99 moment, maybe. Mm-hmm. What and you know, Jason, you've been you've been watching this space for a long time. First of all, it seems like hopefully they're more equipped than the U.S. was in '99 to actually capitalize on this. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw we've seen the Netherlands be quite good since 2017, right? And their fan base is uh, is is they travel really well. Um, obviously the U S the world cup win, I think even really specifically in 2019 was huge mm-hmm. for the sport in, in the United States. Um, but we've also seen sometimes things drop off. People go back to looking at the men when the men come back, that sort of a thing. What do you think can happen in the, in the aftermath of this win? And what do you think it will take? Like for me, obviously I'm like, they need to be playing in the men's stadiums. That's maybe my mm-hmm. number one thing. We need to start taking the venues seriously because if they can fill those stadiums, which they clearly can, we need to be investing in that and supporting that. That's like my first thought. What about you, Jason? Uh, yeah, I, I looked immediately at the the clubs of the Super League um, because these are these are clubs that are already large sporting institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was just reading... Um, Steph Young's piece about um, Tigres mm-hmm. uh, and, and me official. And part of the striking thing there is that they've got, they've got her poster and uh, Andre Pierre-Gignac's poster, who's like the best player that Tigres has ever had on the men's side over like a century. Right. Um, and they've got their posters side by side, equal size on the stadium every day. It's not, we put it up for the women's games and we take it back down. Um and that's a level of investment that the Super League clubs, in terms of the the capital they want to put behind, the cultural capital they want to put behind their women's teams, right. doesn't seem to be there that much. Um, and if they're ever going to do it, a home Euros where England wins over Germany in dramatic fashion, yes. um, while there's no Men's World Cup uh, to take anyone's attention away, all like the deck with the 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 floor was cleared mm-hmm. for this tournament for this team from England. Um, so when you look at you know yes Chelsea and Man City have spent a lot within within the confines of women's soccer they've spent a good deal of money, mm-hmm. but within the broader world of just soccer they have spent nothing. Right. Um, and 
I don't, I'm not picking on them because they're the ones that are spending the most in that league. Um, so you can imagine what a Man United or Liverpool, uh, who let, you know, let their team basically uh, drift down in the championship. They're coming back up, which is great, but they've also shown kind of a lack of care as to what happens to that team at all. Right. Um, Liverpool spends, you know, 50 million euros on a second or third choice defender. Right. Um, if they can't use this moment now to start putting actual money towards these teams, um, then the game, then the moment might slip away. It really is vital that these clubs seize on this because ultimately um, as much as a national team win uh, can be the catalyst, it's not, it, it's not going to be there in a month, it's right? Like you can't go see own. England. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go see England next month. Right. You can, you know, I, I believe the super league schedule is within a month as well um, or whatever, six weeks. Um, you can go see Arsenal. Um, you can physically go buy a ticket to go see Reading. Um, and people are now primed for that. They're like, wow, I, I really enjoyed watching these players play. Where do they play soccer? I'd right. like to see them do that some more rather than wait till next year, or wait till a friendly, which I know isn't that important. Um, and these teams, it's just incumbent upon them to make sure that the it's not just a thought of like, oh, well, you know, here we are. Um, you have to really be aggressive. You have to um, sell that this is the the England team that everyone loves. They're right here. Um, and I don't think the Super League clubs in the past have done enough. And maybe they were waiting for this kind of moment. We've seen NWSL teams certainly in 2019. There was a lot of like, I remember speaking with um, people at the Spirit at that time and they were like, we really hope that this summer's world cup is kind of like a good platform for us to jump from, from there. And that's great. It would be better if you didn't have to wait for that. Right. Um, but when the platform arrives, you've got to be ready to go. And I really hope what we see is that the super league clubs are ready to go. Um, and not just Chelsea and not just man city, but all of them, right. because they have the money that all of the, every single one of those, institutions have the money to be more than they are. Um, and they're right. never going to get a- what you don't want is suddenly what they run out of letters for the name Williamson, you know, like that kind yeah. of thing. Just immediately. Or, yeah. Yeah. Or, or just, the, you know, the, the, every year we hear something about, and it's not just the super league. Certainly I'm not picking on them because it's, we hear this in virtually every league around the world. It's, you know, little things like that, that just pile up or, you know, a, a team, ends up having their team changing in the, in the parking lot, you know, things like that. Um, it can't be that way anymore. If, if England wants to take the next step um, as a league, as a country for this sport it, it, in women's soccer, it has to be everyone on the, everyone going in that direction. Um, everyone has to show real tangible progress right now. Um, there has to be urgency, frankly. And I know, you know, we're only, we're talking like a day after the final. So um, not a lot of, you know, the clubs haven't come forward with their plans to do this, but I really hope we start seeing some evidence of it because yeah. this is, they're never going to get a better chance than this. This right. is the perfect storm for, for English women's soccer and hopefully they're ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, it was a cool tournament, a couple cool tournaments. I am sad to see them go, but now it's kind of full steam ahead for the world cup in a year. Um, 
good, good summer, good summer of international soccer. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and talk NWSL results because there were quite a few very interesting ones. Lots of goals, lots of goals in the NWSL this weekend. So we will be right back. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Jason Anderson. Please give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. It helps people find us on Apple Podcasts. Discovery is huge for us. We're an independent outlet. Helps people find us and hear about cool soccer games. Please give us a five-star rating and a review. So switching over to NWSL. This is actually hilarious. The only team that did not score in the NWSL this weekend were the Chicago Red Stars. Every other game, goals, goals, goals. And we, I talked to Andre last week. We did a little preview, and I sort of highlighted three games that I thought were going to be the most crucial. North Carolina versus Washington, Angel City versus O.L. Reign, and probably Chicago versus San Diego. Um, all three were very interesting. We also had, I think, you know, we saw another kind of Gotham collapse against the Dash, who Dash have six points in two games. They're mm-hmm. making a little bit of a surge, which is great. They've been scoring a lot, which is pretty incredible, especially with Rachel Daly gone. Um, they look like they are focusing into maybe becoming a playoff team. Uh, Thorns beat Racing Louisville, Kansas City, and the Orlando Pride tied, which that was also dramatic. Kansas City comes back from two goals down. Um Maybe let's start with with the truly most dramatic game of the weekend. Almost can't believe that it worked out this way. OL Reign. Mm-hmm. They are down two to nothing against Angel City in LA. And then they turn this game on its head. Felt like I've said this about OL Reign before. This was similar to that 2-2 draw that they got with um, San Diego early in the season. I felt like we got the best and the worst out of both of these teams in this mm-hmm. game. And maybe should have been a draw, maybe 2-2. Angel City just lets Tobin Heath take, take all the points away from him mm-hmm. at the very end. Um, so, Jason, we, we have been aligned on this, which is the, it's a little bit of a I'll believe it when I see it with O.L. Reign. Mm-hmm. Um, saw it. You feeling a little bit more like a believer after this one? I mean, certainly to see them actually be at their their best um and be what they're capable of um is you know it's an impressive collection of talent and so seeing laura harvey figure out how to get the i mean she didn't even have all of her best players but um to still to still assemble a team um that's capable of that because part of part of the reigns problem is i i feel like they've spent a lot of the season looking to win one nothing it feels like of course they would like to score more goals but the kind of games they pl- find themselves in, it seems like they're sort of willing to sort of possess the game and slow it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of, it's kind of sometimes not that exciting to yeah. be honest uh, as a neutral. It's kind of like you have all these players and this is the, this is the the approach. Um, and this was a game where they, they got shaken out of it um, by angel city, getting that second goal. Yep. It kind of forced them to sort of have to be different. Um, which is fascinating because the way one of the ways they got different as this game wore on was actually to bring, um, you know, Ziara King gets the assist, mm-hmm. uh, and then immediately gets subbed out for yes. Olivia Vanderyat, which is not on its on its face, not an attacking substitution. Right. Um, 
And we ended up with, uh, I think it was Rose Lavelle on the right and Jess Fishlock on the left as part of the front three. Um, and that to me sounds like a let's close this game down kind of lineup. Right. Um, but they just kept combining through the middle and fi- and sort of pulling Angel City narrow. And then when they needed to funnel the ball outright to Sofia Huerta, which is, you know, I will say there is a the one element of predictability with the rain is that if you can prevent them from being able to funnel the ball outright to uh, Huerta in space, you're probably right. going to cut off a lot of their danger. But right. teams teams know it's coming and they still aren't doing it. So, yes. you know, credit to the rain for being like, this is what we're going to do. And then doing it anyway, um, which is, you know, a very impressive thing to pull off. But um, I do still have some some qualms about how they got into that situation, because yeah. on paper, they shouldn't have ever been in that situation. Right. They should um, have conceded the two goals in the first place. Right. And, and they didn't they weren't playing well either. Right. Um, they weren't locked in on the game. It just seemed like it was kind of drifting by. And, you know. Angel City gave it everything they have. I think that's the only that that's the way Angel City approaches every game is they just give everything they absolutely have. And you can't play that way for 90 minutes. It's just too exhausting. And they once again find themselves in a high drama game because they did everything they could to get themselves out in front or or give themselves a tie against a team that that on paper is better than them. But that last 20 minutes becomes under siege because they just everyone's dead tired and it's not about you know I had a lot of people reply about how they think it's because Freya hasn't used her subs enough this Mm -hmm. year um I don't think that's really the case um or I think she should have substituted more but I don't think that's playing into this element um it's not that these players are running out of gas because of fatigue built up over the season because Angel City didn't have those extra games in the challenge cup their schedule has been Everyone's schedule has been kind of not great game, a game a week for the most. Yeah, but it's been largely for them a manageable schedule. Right. For a coach to not sub that often. Yeah. Um, But I think they are running into a problem where they don't ever get a hold of the tempo of the game and they don't really have a place to go from. We're going to be as frenetic and all in as possible. We're going to not just give a nine out of 10 physically. It's it's 10 out of 10 for everybody until we run out of gas and then it's just let's hang on and figure we'll try and figure it out but it's it's all on the fly and they they need somebody that can slow the game down and they just don't have it right and it does seem like it's also emotional i mean we saw the team Mm -hmm. at the end of the game um it was a real emotional letdown for them to let Mm -hmm. that slip away which makes sense it was a very you know it was a dramatic way to lose the game obviously when you are giving that much effort to have it not come to anything is is frustrating and it seemed like maybe this is like a uh put a pin in this particular moment as some real adversity that the team is facing in a Mm -hmm. collective way more than just sort of injury adversity stuff like that and it will be really interesting to see how they respond because i do think that they're in seventh right now it's not a disaster kind of a loss they're still in a stone's throw from from playoff position but you have to figure out what happens next now, mm-hmm. because I think ultimately what we are seeing is if Angel City keeps playing the same game over and over and over again, as other teams start to ramp up towards playoffs, mm-hmm. they're going to start having those results not go their way rather right. than being able to hold on to get the results. Speaking it's- of things not going a team's way and still getting a result, San Diego... 
mm-hmm. is just like the right combination of grit and coaching and talent and luck that you're almost like, I don't know, do they give up the top of the, of the table? Will Portland overtake them? They go down to 10 players. Abby Dahlkemper is sent off in the second half. They immediately make a tactical adjustment because they are up one to nothing off of Jaden Shaw's first end of USL goal because they capitalized on a mistake that the Red Stars made. Mm-hmm. They win the game. It's like there's you look at a lot of the adversity that they were facing in that match. It was at Soldier Field. They were playing against a hostile crowd of, I think, by my opinion, I do think there were at least 9,000 people still there for that Red Stars game. It's a total of 23 um, overall. Like I said, elements of a lot of positive things. And then also soccer is a little bit of a sport of destiny sometimes. What do you, what were your thoughts? Is it, did you learn anything new from San Diego from this one? Or is it more of what we've already, what we already know about them? It's more or less more of what we already know. They're super well drilled. So even when they aren't playing very well, they still end up being difficult to play against and difficult to break down. Um, Chicago did have their looks, um, but I will also say they might not have generated a better chance than the one they didn't get to have on Dahlkepper's second yellow, where uh, poor Mal Pugh has to work through many emotions in a very short amount of time. She, but the, I, she she responded by just taking her hair tie out in yeah. frustration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because she should be through on goal there. Um, she actually showed you know really admirable strength and balance to come through being fouled and still still have her breakaway. Um, but uh, yeah, you know San Diego just they 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 don't give up a lot, and when they do give up something, Kaylin Sheridan is Kaylin Sheridan. Yeah. Um. And so when they give up a penalty kick, she's able to get over and, and make uh, yet another penalty kick save. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that can take you a long way when you've also got these sort of um, there's just a real positivity. It seems like throughout um, that group, you know, after the game, um, it was a really fun press conference, not just because the team, you know, it's easy to talk to teams when they've won a game on the road, they're generally in a pretty good mood. Um, But you know that you see things like Kaylin Sheridan trying to, um, you know, Jaden Shaw's stuck in her first presser as a professional ever. And Kaylin Sheridan's trying to like coach her along without overdoing it. She's, she's trying to encourage her to speak, but not necessarily like speak for her. Um, And that's kind of a, it's a good sign for where that team's, mental side is at their collective um you know that that character that that um you know that that good vibe um for lack of a better way to put it is really helping them it's carrying them through some tough moments because this should have been a really tough moment to uh to lose doll kemper um to see chicago i mean chicago put them under a lot of pressure it wasn't like chicago just sort of let the game slip away right um they did everything but score a goal and a lot of teams in the league come through that and they, they find a way to, to mess it up. They find a way to give it away because they aren't quite uh, as dialed in and and sure of themselves. You know, the, the confidence level that Casey Stoney has got out of that squad is, is it's a major factor and they seem kind of unshakable. Um, Even when they also, you know, Casey Stoney, I think her first quote after the game was like, well, we've won, but I'm not quite sure how. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so there's an admission of like, yeah, we know we kind of, we got away with this one. Um, but also, and it, you know, 
they're very good at acknowledging where they've not been at their best, but also still being like, but we did do some stuff that's good. We've got things that we should be happy about. Um, So yeah, they, they aren't showing signs of giving. I, I will say, I think Portland seems to be playing better than San Diego right now, but San Diego keeps finding a way to get these results. And we've seen in NWSL repeatedly that, teams can get on a positive run and it just keeps going. It kind of comes back. It's like the flip side of what you were just saying about angel city, where that's, that's the kind of result that if they aren't careful can bleed into future results um, and, and future outcomes for them. San Diego's got the other thing going on where the positivity is carrying them in, in games that it, it, you're like, wow, really? They got away with that one. Um, And it only happens when you're on either you're just colossally lucky, like powerball level lucky or, you are just finding a way to, to, you know, do just enough and, and keep the good times going and keep this, you know, momentum is kind of a, you know, it's kind of a fiction, but it's kind of not. Mm-hmm. And they are good evidence that it's kind of not. And then maybe this is a good opportunity to flip this over to two teams that, well, certainly feel like they cannot catch a single break. Washington versus North Carolina. Three, three. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's the, like the weird game of the week. Teams, <laughs> both teams doing everything they possibly could to score more goals than the other team. And it just wasn't enough. Again, you just never, you can't say never until someone has been mathematically eliminated with every game that passes. It gets harder and harder for the Washington spirit to make up time for North Carolina, some self-inflicted wounds, right? It was a weird game for them. They were hosting their pride night. I'm sure everyone is aware. Jalen Daniels, um, uh, did not play in that game. She she said she did not want to play in that game because it was Pride Night. So that energy, I think, was a little bit weird, though we kind of still ultimately saw on the field the way these two teams have been playing this season, where they are able to do some amazing things, and then they also mm-hmm. are capable of giving up goals and multiple goals. Uh, is this it? Is this the swan song for the spirit, Jason? I know you've been doing the math. It's really hard to work out um, a path for them to get into the playoffs. I I was looking at the standings this morning. And what I saw was basically, if you look at the points per game pace, that's now set, it it kind of sets the playoff line at around 32. Um, The Spirit have 11, which means they they would need to get 21 points. They've only got eight games, which means they have one loss left of margin if if that pace maintains itself. Um, So even... Even if they catch a break and the pace slows down a little bit, you're still talking about you have to win six of eight. Right. Minimum. It's, it's um, the points per game. You said, I think it's like it's above two. Right. So, yeah, draws are not going to do it anymore. Right. Um, and, you know, I, you know, Andy Sullivan, I think, alluded to or maybe Kelly O'Hara, one of the two alluded to it post game of just they're really there's no margin for error um, anymore. Um, they have they've exhausted it all. And when you think of the way the season's played out, this is a game where they, I I think it's a funny one because if you didn't see this one and you just saw some of the expected goals plots that are out there, Mm -hmm. you're probably thinking like, well, North Carolina is the unlucky team here because they, they have like most of the plots have them around three expected goals. But if you look at where those chances came from, they are spirit errors. Um, You know, Aubrey Kingsbury makes a pass that, she would not normally make. And she turns the ball over inside her own box. Um, Kelly O'Hara, you know, put her hand up after the game and said, you know, that the mistake on the first goal is on her. Um, 
these are players that you don't expect to make those kind of errors. And they are. Um, and it's not those players every single time. It seems like it's a different player every week. Right. Um, but they are, they're just finding like last year, they were so good at, they were so resourceful at finding ways to win. And it almost seems like they're resourceful this time at finding ways to concede. Yeah. Um, because North Carolina, as much as that expected goals title or that, that, that figure is impressive. I don't think they actually did very much in this game. Um, except kind of just hang around. Um, they capitalized, you know, full credit to them for finishing, but I do think this is one where the spirit really gave them, um, gave the, gave the game away. And then, and then actually I will say for the courage's credit, the final 15 minutes were all courage. Um, if there was going to be a late winner in that game, it was going to be them, which wouldn't, wouldn't have been the first time North Carolina had done that to the spirit with a right. very late, uh, goal as well. So yeah, it's, it's, they're, but they both kind of run out of time, but the spirit, especially it's, um, I think they're going to make a run at the playoffs, but I, I do. It just, I don't see a way in when you just cannot afford to drop any more points. Right. And I think it's, it's interesting because when, you know, and not, not getting the headliner for our conversation today, but you look at teams like Kansas city, Kansas mm-hmm. city is making a real, they're putting a really nice portfolio together to, mm-hmm. to look like a playoff team, Houston upon kind of settling their coaching change, making some acquisitions. They look like they are, I mean, they look really good right now. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at Chicago, which everyone, and we'll see what happens. They are on a two game losing streak, but they don't look poor. It's kind right. of just figuring out um, for them, getting those results back as well. It, if I mean, my, my pet peeve efficiency in front of goal is, is killing them right now. That's the yes. biggest thing. Um, and, so where do the where does Washington fit in? And I think that I also I don't want to harp on it too much because I'm sure some people are listening to this and going, well, Washington's not going to make the playoffs. So why are we talking about them so much? But they're the reigning champions. Right. And after that final dynasty was the word that was used. Mm-hmm. That's what they wanted. That was the expectation they were setting for themselves. Um, similar to maybe what we saw North Carolina do from from 2016 to, to 2019. Um, and so maybe this is the big question, last Washington question. At this point, for you, Jason, do you think we should be recontextualizing what they did last year? Or is this year really just its own kind of monster of circumstances that the team will outgrow maybe next year. Uh, I'm still leaning towards it being the, just one of the strangest seasons um, that I've seen, which I thought after last year would be, it would be, it wouldn't be another strange one uh, in its own very different way. Um, But the schedule that the spirit were handed to start the year was just incompatible with soccer. Um, And I, I, I know that from going to, you know, that's, this is my area. So I'm, I'm at those games. And so just being at spirit games so often, it's like, this is too many games. Um, And I I think that definitely hampered them quite a bit. Um, But it's not, it's not all that. It's not all the fates have, have rained down on the the spirit. Didn't have them not win this game, for example. Right. Uh, Or give away, you know, being up to nothing against Orlando and not, not winning that game right. or being up to nothing against Louisville and not winning that game mm-hmm. um, or the, the Kansas city game at Segura a couple weeks ago. Um, 
Kansas City didn't really have much to offer, but the Spirit take a nap on one throw in yep. and give away a goal. And and they knew it after the game. They said, you know, um, we spent all this time talking about staying dialed in on set pieces, and we did a great job on all of them except for one. And they they happened to score. Um, so it is it is you know the context the Spirit have been in has been really really brutal. But there is an element of, and this is an, a great, this game is a great example of it, of they've also, they have to blame themselves right. uh, to, to a, a certain extent because they are making mistakes that are just not, it's, the group is too good to make the mistakes they're making. And a lot of times it's not, you know, player selection mistakes. It's not, you know, the, the approach they took this weekend with a back three. Um, teams have done that against North Carolina uh, over the last couple of years for good reason. Um, so it's not this weird thing that they did while flailing. It's, it has a basis to it. Um, but there's not much you can do if you're giving the ball away in your own box. Right. Um, it kind of stops being about tactics at that point and stops being about personnel choices and starts being about just, um, you know, players who we know we have very good evidence are high end players are just not playing like it. Um, yeah. or, or they're playing like it for 89 minutes and then playing the opposite of that for one. And this is, this is NWSL. If you're giving away this kind of chance, you're going to pay for it. Um, I think that's, I think that's basically just to kind of wrap it all up. I think mm -hmm. that that is the story of this weekend. A little bit is we saw a lot of mistakes, actually a lot of mistakes made. It was not really the sharpest uh, weekend that made it fun, right? It made it very dramatic and very exciting, but when you have three games finish two, two, and then you have a three, two win, and then you have, you know, a one nil win, even though one team gets a red card and all of that sort of stuff like that is a sloppy weekend. And I wonder how much of it is integration of internationals back nationals, internationals, um, how much of it is just coming off a of vacation week. Maybe it's just a little bit harder to be fo totally focused back in. People will be able to be a little bit more dialed in after that. Um, but it's, I, every team has it in them to make a mistake and concede a goal. Mm -hmm. And I think the only, even, even Portland, right? Even Portland in this, this weekend, though they did get the win. So I think that makes it interesting. And we've talked about this before, very competitive season this year, but it's because every team is capable of making mistakes. And so what right. I would love to see is it still be competitive, but because every team is not making mistakes. <laughs> and so I think, that's my dream by the mm -hmm. end of this season, but we're just not quite there yet. Um, yeah, we, we have one midweek game this week. There's a game tomorrow, actually we're recording on Monday. There's a, sort of a random Tuesday game between Louisville and OL rain, and then a full match weekend next week. So we will be back to chat. We'll probably start digging in a little bit more into NWSL as the next weeks go on because NWSL is back and international soccer is over. So we're switching into our next year as well. Thank you, Jason, so much for joining me. I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy, and our distributor, Blue Wire Podcast. We will be back with you next week. 